0: And welcome to Midday. My first guest today is Governor Wes Moore. He was inaugurated as our state's first African-American governor in mid-January, and he has been in constant motion ever since. He joins us on Zoom from Annapolis. Governor, it's good to talk to you. Tom, good to talk to you, too. Happy Pledge Day. Thank you. Are you getting used to people calling you governor? Governor? Is that
1: sunk in yet? <laughs> it's 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 feeling good, but I tell you, I mean, the uh, you are right. I mean, when we said we were going to hit the ground running, uh, we have we have been sprinting ever since inauguration, and we're just we're really excited about where the state is going, about the energy, uh, and the fact that, that people are focused on Maryland in a really exciting way, and, and I think uh, this is going to be our decade. Well, I want to talk to you about
0: what's going on in the legislature in Annapolis. But first, I want to ask you about the FBI building. Uh, right. Maryland and Virginia are both being considered by the General Services Administration as the new location for the new FBI headquarters. Where do you think that competition stands? Uh, Senator Cardin, Senator Van Hollen uh, were able to delay a decision about it for about 90 days, but uh, that now that 90-day period is about up. They're going to be uh, making up their minds pretty soon. Uh, How do you think our pitch
1: looks compared to that of Virginia? Well, I I think this is a a legacy-defining project for the Biden administration, and I think it belongs in the state of Maryland. Uh, And I think if you just look at the indicators that they have laid out as to how uh, the the gating criteria that they are looking for, they're looking at cost. Well, putting it in the state of Maryland is going to save American taxpayers anywhere from a quarter of a billion to a half a billion dollars. They're looking at site selection. We are the only location that actually has a site that's prepared to go and prepared to move on, where we could have the building done two to four years earlier than Virginia could. They're looking at transportation. Well, we already have built-in transportation assets and metro assets that are already at the location. And they said they're going to look at the future mission of the FBI. Well, Director Ray, the the, the head of the FBI, has already said that cybersecurity is one of the FBI's highest priorities. And that that cybersecurity and cyber threats is going to be a core part of their future. Well, Maryland is the, is the location for the NSA and Fort Meade and U.S. Cyber Command and some of the top universities in this country, to include the University of Maryland and Johns Hopkins, that focus on cyber. So on all of the key indicators, to include equity, where they say equity and racial equity is going to be important, well, even if you look at economic equity, of the top 150 jurisdictions in the country in terms of economic competitiveness, Fairfax County, Virginia is number two because they've received so many federal assets that that have propelled them. Prince George's County, Maryland is 107, has been even though despite being majority African-American has been historically neglected when it comes to federal resources and federal assets. And so we believe deeply that if they just stay on the criteria that they have laid out, that this building will end up in the state of Maryland it's going to end up employing over 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 7000 people and having billions of dollars of economic impact. And the state of Maryland is where the project belongs. Senator
0: Cardin, Senator Van Hollen, uh, Steny Hoyer, all said that the criteria that the General Service Administration is using is actually um, not particularly fair. Uh, one of the criteria they have is proximity to the FBI Academy in Quantico. Uh, and as Steny right. Hoyer put it, you know, everybody knows that Virginia is closer to Virginia. Um, how, how can we overcome that? I mean, you got me convinced, Governor. Believe me, that's fine. But uh, I don't get a vote. How do you how do you convince the GSA uh, to uh, you know to adjust essentially adjust their criteria to weigh more things like equity, et cetera.
1: Well, and, and all we're asking them to do is stay with the initial criteria that they laid out. Because here's the ironic thing, Tom. They added that idea that, that proximity to Quantico, which by the way, Quantico is a training facility. So why proximity to a training facility has more relevance than, than proximity to the day-to-day mission, I have no idea. But they added that criteria on in November. That wasn't always there. And they put it and they made an overweight calculation on where it's now 35 percent of of the of the decision is based on proximity to a training facility. That's in Virginia. That's literally like saying I'm going to add 35 percent criteria uh, to the location that starts with the letter V. It doesn't make sense. And the only thing that we're saying is do not change the rules in the ninth inning. When you had them laid out, keep the rules as stated, keep the keep the, the balance as equal. Uh, Because the truth is, is that changing the rules in the ninth inning is something that, uh, that disadvantaged communities are very accustomed to. And all we're simply asking is keep the rules, the rules. Let's talk
0: about a couple of things in front of the uh, General Assembly in Annapolis, the Maryland General Assembly. The Fair Wage Act is a bill that you've been talking about. Uh, We talked about it during the campaign. You're trying to get the minimum wage here in Maryland bumped up to $15 an hour this year. Uh, The current bill calls for it to be bumped up in 2025. Um, Your proposal to do that has a lot of support. But even among Democrats, there's an opposition to indexing the minimum wage. To inflation, um, can you uh, can can you surmount that uh, difference of opinion on that particular aspect of the bill?
1: Yeah, you know, you know, we said during during the state of the state that it was time for Maryland to make a a a, a bipartisan, full frontal attack on child poverty, and that will include aspects like making sure that we can have an enhanced earned income tax credit. Uh, and also making permanent the child tax credit, which you see at the Family Prosperity Act, and also being able to get us to a $15 minimum wage. And, and we see how that support has aligned not just with uh, not just with workers, but also with large businesses like BGE, and also small businesses like well-paid maids, where we've watched a coalition around this idea of getting us to this $15, getting us to this $15 minimum wage, which in effect. Would end up lifting 152,000 children in our state up the economic uh, up, up the economic economic ladder. Uh, the the reason that indexing is important because it adds a level of predictability for businesses. Where you know, as you know, Tom, before I I ran for governor, you know, I was an army officer. I ran a, I ran one of the largest poverty fighting organizations in this country, and I was a small business owner. And as a small business owner, one of the things that I looked for most was basic predictability. Give me an understanding about how my labor costs are going to match up against my revenue projections, because that helps me to assess my business model, right? But by continuing, by not having the indexing, we're not allowing that predictability that small businesses generally look for when it comes to understanding how those labor costs are going to match out. Uh, we have to get the Fair Wage, uh, the Fair Wage Act of 2023 passed. We've got to get to a $15 minimum wage, and we need to do it faster than 2020, then 2025, and if we can do this, if we can get to $15 minimum wage, and we can do that coupled with the Earn Income Tax Credit and also the uh, and also the Child Tax Credit, we are going to make the most aggressive assault on child poverty that this state has ever seen. And Maryland's going to do it. And that's the reason that I'm leaning so hard into it.
0: But even friends disagree. Uh, and State Senate President Bill Ferguson uh, has uh, said, I think just yesterday, made comments that said the Finance Committee just may balk uh, at his uh, at your position about the indexing. I mean, do you see uh, any compromise that that's possible?
1: No, listen, I, I believe in democracy. Uh, I think the, the, the partnership that we have forged with the you know with the with the with the delegations and with the uh, and with the legislative uh, with the legislative branch, both with the House and also the Senate, is a strong one. And I think that they see and they have seen already in our first movements that you know I'm the first governor in eight years that's actually testified on behalf of a bill of uh, the first time that we've had cabinet secretaries testify on behalf of bills. So I think the legislature is seeing that there is already a new mood and a new temperature. In the way that we go about, in the way we're going about, uh, you know, our the legislative process, where I'm the first governor in, in in eight years to actually present a legislative package. So we're we're excited to keep the keep the conversation going. I'm excited to work in partnership with the legislature. Uh, but I I know this is that if we want to make this Maryland's decade, if we want to make sure that we have our economic engine going and be the best state, not just for workers but also the best state for employers. That being able to pass the Family Prosperity Act and the Fair Wage Act of 2023, those are core and key ingredients in order for us to do that. Uh, you've also,
0: uh, and you have in fact, uh, testified on behalf of a number of bills having to do with veterans, having to do with all sorts of things, including the service year option uh, right. uh, where uh, kids coming out of high school with a high school education or uh, a, a GRE would be able to um, uh, serve, uh, do, do a public service year. Um, and this is something that you campaigned on. You uh, signed an executive order right in your first day of office, uh, creating a cabinet position to oversee this. Uh, where do you see that going uh, in this legislative
1: session? I, I also see tremendous amount of enthusiasm around it. And, and one of the really interesting things about the, the legislative package we presented, Tom, is that, you know, there, there's, there's 10 bills that I introduced uh, into, into this legislative session you know what's interesting? Seven of them have Republican co-sponsors. We are building such an interesting coalition about the way we go about doing our business that it really is a a, a bipartisan focus on making sure that Maryland is going to be both more competitive and also more equitable. And the service year component is a very important part of that because the reason that we want to make this uh, and eventually get to the point where a service year becomes as standard an option or all of our high school graduates as joining the military or going to college or joining the workforce. Uh, I wanna add another pillar, which is I wanna do a year of service. And we're gonna do it because this actually this actually puts a foundation around experiential learning, giving young people a chance to experience what it is that they wanna do. And that can be working with a nonprofit, working with a, uh, a company, working in in, uh, in the government sector, but just giving them a chance to have a pathway to learn more about what options are available and giving them a runway to- get there, that it does help to present a, a, an economic buffer and present some type of option if they choose to go on to higher education next, because all the completers are going to receive a $3,000 stipend for completing this work. And, and by the way, that year, will also have things like financial literacy and all the other things that are preparing them with life skills. But the third reason is important, too, is that service is sticky, and those who serve together will generally stay together and advocate for each other. And in this time of political divisiveness and vitriol, it is service that will help to save us. And particularly when you consider the fact that not only have we watched volunteerism decline over the process of the past decade in the state of Maryland, but right now the state of Maryland has 10,000 vacancies in state government. And why that matters is it means basic functions are not being performed. That's vacancies in nursing. That's vacancies in law enforcement. That's vacancies in in in, in the Department of Corrections. And so we want to make sure that there are pathways to be able to address some of these larger challenges that our society is facing by creating a new level of energy and a new entree for young people to be able to find their future and find their path and find their passion in these different options that are presented because service will save us.
0: It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. My guest is Governor Wes Moore. He's been in office for about six weeks, and uh, he has had all sorts of stuff going on. As he mentioned, uh, he is the uh, he he testified in front of various committees about a whole bunch of different bills that's something his predecessor chose not to do, as his cabinet secretaries have done the same thing. There is a package of ten bills uh, there when it comes, Governor, to the uh, student year of service. The, uh, there was a program that the legislature created, I don't know, a few years ago called Maryland Corps, but it hasn't been able to really get fully launched. I mean, uh, is this going to be, in addition to Maryland Corps, are we going to get rid of Maryland Corps? Uh, clearly, there's there's a, a purpose and energy around it because this is something you campaigned on. Uh, and as I mentioned, you've created a cabinet-level department for it. But um, what's going to be different about this program from the one that the legislature tried a while back?
1: Yeah, I think I see Maryland Corps is really a, uh, you know, a, a sister platform for what we're trying to get done. And I, and I applaud the legislature for the work um, that they've done for years in getting Maryland Corps established. Uh, but I also know that Maryland Corps needed to have an executive uh, and needs to have an executive that can really help to push its marriage through. Uh, it's the reason that I, I, I signed an executive order on my first day creating the Department of Service and Civic Innovation because Maryland Corps will be one of the entities that will fall under this department where you will have a secretary who will then be responsible for for its rollout and its application. Uh, And so we see the service year option is is very targeted. We're focusing on high school completers and giving them that service year option to to, to be able to go into various elements, whether it's the environment or education or serving veterans or serving animals Their choice, Uh, and we see the and we see Maryland Corps uh, really as a sister component to being able to create service opportunities for more male owners to become engaged and involved in, uh, in ensuring that their fingerprints are on the future of the state.
0: There's a backlog of bills. Senator Ferguson has talked about the fact that at this point now, we're five weeks away from sine die. Uh, just the logistics uh, dictate that we won't get to all of the thousand or so bills that are currently uh, up for consideration. Are you concerned that any of the ones in your package, your package of 10 proposals, uh, will, will fall by the wayside because there is just there's just this volume of bills uh, that has has built up over
1: these first few weeks of the session. Uh, I, I'm uh, I'm very confident that the bills that uh, that I have personally introduced uh, will have a fair hearing and uh, and will have a chance to be voted on. I you know I understand the 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 amount of work uh, that the that the both the House and the Senate are are working through. Uh, and I understand that. And uh, but I am I'm very confident. That all the bills that I proposed, these are these are my priorities, and I'm very confident that they will have their uh, they will have their their hearing, and we'll have a chance to be voted on, and we'll have the opportunity to uh, to make it to my desk. Can you talk about your decision to
0: make cuts to the BOOST program? Uh, This is a program. BOOST is an acronym for Broadening Options and Opportunities for Students Today. It's a voucher program for private and parochial schools uh, for parents who are dissatisfied with the public education, public school education that their kids may be receiving. Um, You've cut two million dollars from the program, and uh, there seems to be an indication that uh, you wouldn't be sad if the program went away altogether. Um, There have been uh, critics who've said that uh, this is, a a priority of the teachers union, which is very uh, vocally in support of you you during the campaign. Um, Why your decision to make cuts to the boost program? Do you think the boost program should, in fact, be fully eliminated down the road? Uh, And where does that legislation stand? Because again, your your friend, Senator Bill Ferguson, the state Senate president, uh, has uh, talked about evolving personally on this issue. And uh, uh, he, at the moment,
1: uh, appears to be a supporter of the boost program. Yeah, I I think, uh, you know, everything that we have said, it shows that education is going to be Maryland's pathway. Um, The the fact that the fact that we are going to focus on education is going to be the key on our ability to focus on creating economic pathways for our state. Nothing else is going to work unless we have a strong and a thriving and and thriving public school system in the state of Maryland, period. Uh, And and it's the reason why we have made uh, historic investments in, in, in our public Public schools. Uh, it's the reason why, uh, that, um, that we have, uh, made the largest individual investment in our public schools, uh, that has been made by any governor in the history of the state of Maryland. It's also the reason why I made, that we made a historic, uh, $112 million investment in, in the equal opportunity scholarship program, which is the largest scholarship program in this entire state, helping low income students and will serve and support around 30,000 students in the state of Maryland. So nobody can question my commitment to education or my commitment to making sure that all of our students and specifically low-income students and disadvantaged students, uh, that they're gonna create pathways. It's what I've worked my entire life on. I also know that as we're going through this process thinking about about allocations and and resources, that we are going to focus our, our, our public dollars and taxpayer dollars on ensuring that our public schools are strengthened and that our public schools are stronger and not necessarily saying how many, kids, not necessarily you know, asking kids and pulling them into private schools. You know, we've got to focus on strengthening the public schools inside this state. And I believe deeply that if you look at the investments that we have made, uh, both in in our public schools and also with the equal opportunity scholarship program, again, historic investment in the equal opportunity scholarship program. That we are that is the mechanism that we are going to use to be able to provide the greatest amount of pathways. For the majority of our students to be able to have measurements of of not just educational growth but economic success, that is going to be Maryland's future, and that's and that is why we invested in the way we have.
0: Governor Westmore, Governor, I look forward to uh, having many conversations over the course of your term, uh, not just during the legislative session, but after that. Uh, so we look forward to the next time you have a minute to uh, to stop by and get get us up to date. Thanks for your time today. It's
1: my pleasure. And if I can just say one more thing, Tom, it's just to all the listeners, uh, thank you for supporting YPR. Thank you for supporting public radio. Uh, you know, having, having a platform to be able to, to be able to know that the messages that you are getting are, are, are not just research consistent and and, and honest, having platforms where it is truly people powered, it matters. It matters in this climate more than ever before. And your support, of, of public radio, your support of public platforms. Uh, it means that we can continue having smart, engaging, and informative conversations uh, that you know that the only focus is going to be on the people. So thank you for your support. Thank you for your pledges. Spoken like a true great former host
0: at WYPR, <laughs> which in fact you are. <laughs> All right. Great to talk to you, Governor. Thank you so much. I look forward to the next time. As do I, Tom. Thanks so much. This is your public radio. We are member-supported 88.1
1: WYPR. You hear us say it all the time, listeners-supported. It is your public radio.